in the summer of 2021, the woman flew into Miami International with nothing to declare but the clothes she stood in, a phony passport, an iPhone with a broken screen, and a ballpoint pen. The pen didn't work, but did conceal a two-inch-long razor-sharp blade that could be used to slice open a carotid artery, for example. Hello, and welcome to Best Seller, where we read and rate the latest book at the top of the New York Times hardcover fiction list. 20 minutes with us, and you'll know whether to read it or regifted. I'm Brian. And I'm Barbara. Today we're reviewing Dark Angel by John Sanford, number one on the April 30th, 2023 list. Before we get to our new number one, what else is happening on the list this week? Four novels dropped off this week, three of them after just one week. Tress of the Emerald Sea, the new fantasy novel by Brandon Sanderson, is gone after one week, as is The Soulmate, a domestic thriller by Sally Hepworth, and the debut novel by Michelle Min Sterling called Camp Zero, a near-future dystopian adventure about climate change survivors in Canada's far north. I'm looking forward to that. And leaving the list after two weeks is the poetry collection Above Ground by Clint Smith, who won the National Book Critics Circle Award last year for How the Word is Passed, his book about slavery in America. So with four leaving the list, are there four new entries? Indeed. Dark Angel at number one, the book we're reviewing this week, also new at number three this week, is Megan Miranda's The Only Survivors, a thriller set on the east coast of the United States, at number seven this week is Lassiter, the 21st installment in J.R. Ward's supernatural thriller series called The Black Dagger Brotherhood. And at number nine, Things I Wish I Told My Mother <laughs> by Susan Patterson and Susan DeLalo, which is subtitled The Most Emotional Mother-Daughter Novel in Years. That's the actual subtitle? Well, not on the book jacket, but yeah, on the Amazon page, that's the subtitle. I wonder if we could get a subtitle like that on our next book. <laughs> yes, Don't Shoot the Piano Player, the most thrillingest thriller of the century. Maybe. So, Susan Patterson, any relation to... Yes, she is James Patterson's wife, that James Patterson, who hmm. himself gets a credit at the very bottom of the cover. It says, with James Patterson. He co-wrote a book about the mother-daughter relationship? Well, there's actually some self-owning here on the book flap. He says his sole contribution was bringing coffee, tea, and sandwiches to the two Susans while they did the writing. So how many times do you have to serve coffee to get a writing credit? Uh, if it's James Patterson, one is plenty. Apparently. Well, let's talk about our new number one, Dark Angel by John Sanford. Okay. What do we know about the author? Well, Sanford was born John Roswell Camp in Cedar Rapids, Iowa in 1944. So he's 79 years old. He started out as a journalist in Miami and then went to the St. Paul Pioneer Press in Minnesota, where in 1985, he won a Pulitzer Prize for his series about a Minnesota farm family. The series was called Life on the Land. And his fiction writing? Yes, in 1989, he wrote two novels, each of which led to a successful series, one about a computer whiz and career criminal named Kidd, K-I-D-D, the other about a maverick police detective in Minneapolis named Lucas Davenport. This is when he took the pseudonym? Yes, he's been known as John Sanford, starting with the Lucas Davenport books, which, by the way, 
are called the Pray series because they all have the word pray in the title. As in, I pray Lucas figures out who the killer is? No, P-R-E-Y, like uh, Lucas better stop this killer from taking any more prey. Got it. The Lucas Davenport books have led to two spinoffs, one about Virgil Flowers, another Minnesota detective, and the latest, a two-volume so far, series about Davenport's adopted daughter, Letty, an investigator for the Department of Homeland Security. Which is where we come in. Yes. Dark Angel is the second novel about Letty Davenport. Are there any movie or TV adaptations of Sanford's fiction? A couple of TV movies, one based on the 1995 novel Mind Prey, and another based on the 1999 novel Certain Prey. That's the one we saw. Right. USA Network released Certain Prey in 2011, starring Mark Harmon as Lucas Davenport. What did you think of it? Well, for a TV movie from 12 years ago, I thought it held up pretty well. Mark Harmon is good. It's a little campy, but feels like everyone's having fun. There was one little oddity. There's all these inside jokes about Davenport's womanizing and all the people he's killed. You know, like we're supposed to already know this character or something. That was a little weird, but I enjoyed it. What did you think? I thought it was good. It was enjoyable, a little bit campy, but ultimately I'm glad we watched it. So let's talk about the book. Dark Angel is Sanford's 56th novel published since he started in 1989. So he's... He's putting out nearly two a year for over 30 years. Prolific. Yeah, in the uh, Barnes & Noble edition, which is the one that we were looking at, there's a special section at the end where Sanford is interviewed, and he talks about how he writes every single day. I think this is designed to make other writers feel guilty because he says he (laughs) writes every day, including holidays, and he even says including when he travels on vacation. Wow. Yeah, he says he finished Dark Angel, quote, on a Delta flight between New Mexico and Minnesota, greatly annoying the man who sat next to me and who I think simply wanted to sleep. (laughs) That man should have peeked over Sanford's shoulder. (laughs) Yeah, you could have leaked the ending. So uh, Dark Angel is published by Putnam. It's 377 pages, 11 hours and 7 minutes on the audiobook, narrated by Robert Petkoff. And it looks to have about an equal number of male and female readers. Just like our podcast. (laughs) Yeah, 50-50, men to women. First book reviewed this year, by the way, that has that many male readers. So, male reader number one, what's the story here? This is the second novel Sanford has written about Letty Davenport, the adopted daughter of his long-running Minnesota detective, Lucas Davenport, who does not appear in this book. Letty is in her mid-20s, and she's an investigator for the Department of Homeland Security. She's recently finished her first big case, which was the subject of last year's novel, The Investigator, in which she got into a big, splashy shootout and took down a number of bad guys. Mm. This history is mentioned many times in Dark Angel, both to remind us that Letty is badass, but also because at the beginning of the book, she's being vetted to join a group called the Washington Ladies Peacemaker Society, a private club of women who like guns, know how to shoot, and have somewhere in the course of their lives killed someone. So you, you can't join unless you shot someone? Shot and killed, that's right. Okay. So Letty loves guns and has killed a few folks, so she gets the invite. This is important to the story because she draws on the connections she makes at the Ladies Peacemaker Society to fill out her team when things start to get hairy in her new case. Never underestimate the power of women marketing together. Very good. So in this new case, she's teamed up with an NSA agent named Rod Baxter, a young man who is not very good with guns, but is very good with computers. Letty and Baxter are asked to go undercover, posing as a computer hacker and his girlfriend, to find and infiltrate an L.A.-based group of computer hackers known as Ordinary People. 
They are told that ordinary people got into the Russian rail system and basically ran it for a few months. And now this group is planning to pull a more lucrative job involving turning off the natural gas supply to a major U.S. city and demanding a huge ransom to turn it back on. The key phrase being, they are told. Letty quickly comes to suspect that there is more going on with ordinary people than hijacking gas supplies. Without giving away any spoilers, it turns out her suspicions are correct. Mm -hmm. And in fact, the case becomes much more interesting as the ordinary people hackers start getting picked off by Russian assassins, and the story eventually connects to the Russian invasion of Ukraine in February of 2022. Right, so this is the first novel that we've read anyway that actually brings in the war in Ukraine. But what about this title, Dark Angel? Well, as part of her undercover disguise, Letty gets a bunch of non-permanent tattoos, including a big one on her back that Baxter calls a dark angel. Though, interestingly, Letty immediately insists it's not an angel, but a raven. So that kind of kills the title. So why wasn't the book called Dark Raven? Uh, There might be a story there somewhere. Maybe it got cut in editing. Okay, but that's not our story. Let's talk about our story, which is the book Dark Angel. Let's review it. What did you think? Uh, Let's start with Grip and Grab. Did it pull you in and hold you there? So the Grip and Grab at the beginning was not very high for me. It's possible that some of it was my own workload, but I had a hard time getting into this Mm. story. And after we left the marketing adventure in the beginning regarding the lady killers, then it got a little more interesting for me. I I was on the same page, like moderately pulled in. The computer hackery is moderately interesting. I got more engaged in the book once the Russians got involved. And to be honest, people started dying. Um, (laughs) And definitely there's kudos to this book for tying into the Ukraine war. That, That was fun. Here's one kind of interesting twist there's an immense bureaucratic machinery. You know, we read a lot of novels, and but we don't always have characters that are in the NSA, in the Department of Homeland Security. You know, they have the resources of the government at their disposal. And what I noticed in, in that, some of the suspense is lost because they have so many resources. Mm. I'm, I'm used to like lone rogue individual detectives having to figure things out. And she can just make a call and she's got... Like in particular, one of the technologies was tracking license plates as the car moved. Like that's a lot of power and it's basically hers at the click of a button. So to me, that actually took away the suspense a little bit. But I I will say that the action scenes were well written and engaging. I gave this a two for Grip and Grab. Yeah. So for me, I gave Grip and Grab a 1.5. Well, let's talk about Flair, the writing style. I, I felt that his writing style was, you know, clear, good writing style. He likes to put in snappy dialogue. Here's a passage I thought was pretty well written. I'll just read it out. Uh, This is talking about Letty and Baxter as they're in their van driving cross country to establish their identity as hackers. Quote, along the way, they'd collected receipts from fast food places, bought a chunk of petrified wood at Quartzite and a bag of elk jerky, which Letty emptied out the window when Baxter told her it would give him cataclysmic gas. She threw the bag in the back seat where it infused the truck with jerky molecules. <laughs> a little nasal music for the possibly curious. <laughs> I thought that was a well-written little passage. Yeah, that was good. So I want to play an audio example of the, the snappy dialogue. But before I do, what, what was your take on the flair? There were some sentences that jumped out to me as being particularly good. For instance, um, This is a quote, across the street from the Vons, a line of dingy two-story shops sat up like a row of bad Mm. teeth with narrow parking lots between each shop. 
I just thought that was uh, a really good imagery. So he's got he's got some good lines, but I'd say basically his style is pretty straightforward. But it, it does did seem to me that he he put some effort into the dialogue. He wants it to be catchy, snappy, to have some flair. So how about I play an example? This is also Letty and Baxter. There's a lot of back and forth between them that's mostly intended to be, I think, to be cute or funny. Um, so here's a here's a, a little section where they're on the road. Baxter's amusement didn't extend to Letty's suggestion that they skip a few of the McDonald's restaurants that they passed on the highway. You're probably 70 or 80 pounds overweight and you're not using any calories sitting in the truck, she said. You must have eaten 3,000 calories already today and shut the fuck up. You could at least drink Diet Coke. Every one of those, shut the fuck up, is like 140 empty calories per can. Shut the fuck up. Maybe you would have had more girlfriends if you lost weight, Letty said. I don't have much trouble that way, Baxter said. Women are basically simple creatures. Taking them to bed isn't a problem. Shut the fuck up. So that gives you a, a sense of how uh, they interact with each other. I thought it was pretty funny. What did you think? Yeah, I thought that was funny. It was true to their characters that they were trying to establish, and and it was pretty amusing. So I gave uh, Flair a 2.5. I gave it a 2. Let's look at Beam Me Up. This is the world building. And remember, even if it's not a fantasy novel, even if it's set in today's real world, you still have to build the world. Indeed. So what do you think of this category? Did you enjoy this world or find it interesting? Yeah, so I thought that it was um I thought it was good. I felt like the deeper we got into the story, the world got a little complicated and wordy. Mm. And it was hard to form a solid, clear picture based on what I was reading. So for instance, there's a shootout scene on a roof, and it was hard to picture the whole scene and keep everyone straight and my images for each part that was happening. That's interesting because I, I actually found the action scenes to be fairly easy to follow uh, anything else about world building here no i mean i thought it was I, I thought it was interesting i just felt like it got a little complicated so we've got multiple worlds here we've got the hacker world we've got big establishment law enforcement bureaucracies you know homeland security and cia and so on um, we've also got the russian agents we've got the world of the west coast where most of the story takes place I look for some insights, some new learning about worlds when I'm looking at novels. That's what, what I like the best. I felt everything he wrote was rang more or less true, but yeah. but it wasn't inspiring me in terms of, oh, I've just learned something really interesting about the Department of Homeland Security or about Russian agents. Um, did you catch that there was a little sort of a conservative tinge to the book? Like, of, of course, there's a there's a whole emphasis on gun fetishism let's call it i mean let's just let's just flat out say that they're they're really into their guns for sure um that's how the book starts there's this this uh group of women who like shooting guns and you can only belong if you've killed somebody with them um so you might think well that are automatically gives it a sort of a conservative mindset but there's some other things too like do you remember the passage when baxter kind of goes off on the west coast and Teslas. Here's it. I'll just read it. Uh, Baxter's saying, it seems like half the cars are Teslas. Some of them are truly ugly. They don't burn gas, Letty said. Saves the whales. Baxter, yeah, virtue signaling. Not only virtue signaling, the Tesla drivers 
can pretend that they're actually rich enough to drive a Bentley, but they choose not to because of the whales. <laughs> I thought that was a little harsh. Baxter later says, remind me not to move here. Fires, mudslides, earthquakes, high rents, $5 gas. Hey, you see that black Tesla right there? That thing's uglier than my ass, Letty. Uh, no. <laughs> So, you know, pretty snappy, pretty funny, but definitely, you know, sort of trashing the West Coast there. I don't want to give anybody the impression that this is a political book, okay? But it it definitely seems like it's a little more comfortable with the right-wing sensibility than the left. What do you think about that? I I did. I I think I see this maybe a little bit differently than you do. They definitely were into their guns. But for the women, it's, it's different, you know, and at one point, one of the women characters talks about how she started shooting early. Mm. And she's and and the the power that it gave her, she was trying to describe the power that it gave her to, to stop the ranch hands from looking at her ass when she was 12 years old. And Ah. she said, you know what that surge of power feels like when you're 10? It's like an ocean breeze blowing through your soul. And I thought that was interesting. It it does it does um, relate to the power differential between men and women, and how the guns make these characters feel like they're more equal. Well, I wanted to. I'm glad you brought up that passage because I wanted to ask you about it. I don't. I don't actually buy it. I, I mean, I know that might be her point of view, but the idea is, well, if I carry guns, guys will stop looking at my ass. Well, that doesn't seem to be true if you look at media if you look at movies and you know there's this whole thing now of being sexually attracted to women because they carry guns so you can go all all the way back to uh kill bill with uh quentin tarantino and uma thurman like she's a badass with a sword and she's also very sexually attractive so i'm not sure that it's true that picking up a gun means the guys are no longer going to ogle me well but the point is that it's not it's not that men will no longer be attracted to women. Yeah. It it the point is that you're not just a piece of meat. He has to look at her with some kind of respect because she could actually kill him. He can look but not touch. Yeah. He has <laughs> because... to get her consent. What a what a concept. So there's a lot of that in this book. I want to talk about this when we look at new best friends, but for this category of world building, uh, I gave it a two point five. I gave it a two point five. So for new best friends. That's what I really focused on thinking about the characters because it really does seem to be his dominant uh, theme is making Letty, building her up into a badass. There's just a lot of that. Uh, I, w- I didn't find that many of the minor characters you know, engaging enough to, to rate this category on that. I'm main- mainly thinking, how did I re- react to the main character? I've got a whole string of quotes here. She says, um, this is Letty again. I know of another woman, same kind of Texas background, became a domestic terrorist. I'll kill her sooner or later if I can find her, Letty (laughs) said. And a little later, I'm not that angry, Letty said. Yes, you are. You have been since birth. All of us ladies are angry. Those are the ladies in the gun uh, club. Uh, here's Here's a little passage where one of the hackers named Sue says, we could probably get 50,000 for turning you in. Letty sat back down and said, you know what else you could get, bitch? You could get a nine millimeter right between your tits. There's a lot of talk in the book about how Letty killed people before, and there's just a lot of focus on how um, how hard edge she is, and how good she is with guns, and how willing she is to use them. None of that really moved me one way or the other. It didn't draw me into her or or repulse me. So I had to 
sort of a moderate reaction to the characters in this. I gave it a two. But I, I, before we hear how you did with this, I do want to mention that Baxter is sort of part of this dynamic. Baxter is the the true computer nerd that she's paired up with. And he's portrayed throughout the book as flabby, cowardly, not very physical, not very good with guns. And there's a lot of sort of humor built around that. And then did you notice at the end, the big sort of climax, he actually picks up a gun yeah. and starts blasting away. Yeah. And guess what happens? His entire reputation flips. And the <laughs> author specifically mentions when he goes back to the NSA, all of a sudden he's, he's you know, the big shit. Mm. And I, I just wanted to point out that's a trope. The guy who can't shoot and is the object of ridicule shoots something at the end, shoots someone, and then then he's a true man. I, I remember that from one of the mm. um, Die Hard movies where there was a police officer who literally couldn't shoot his gun. Oh, yeah. And he was sort of pathetic, and then he shoots somebody at the end. And, and now he's a real man's man, and everything is good in the world. That's so interesting, because I didn't notice that in this book. It's there. I don't know if a lot of people would notice it, but... It's an arc. It's a particular arc that was put in for a reason because this is a book about shooting guns. So what what did you uh, feel about the characters in this? Well, so for the new best friends category, I I felt like this book was sort of narrowly focused on the main characters. You didn't really get to know any of the second tier characters Mm -hmm. at all. They really were just sort of um, people that caused things for the main characters to react to. And so, you know, you didn't really get beyond them but hearing you talk about letty's character Mm -hmm. um and some of the like she i what i read was she was trying to be a badass and sometimes she is a badass but she's not always like some of those words are words used to make her sound Mm -hmm. more scary or um, lethal than she actually may be okay that's interesting so i i gave this category a two I gave this category a three. I so liked you, I liked Letty. Okay, so you yeah, that's a pretty good score for the characters. Yeah. All the feels, emotional connection or reaction to the story. Go ahead. This was not a strong category for me. I felt like more of an observer during the story, not like I was right there, but like I was observing from afar, a bit mm. disengaged. I still enjoyed it, but it didn't pull me hard enough and and keep me going. Um, in fact, I was actually feeling sleepy on the very last oh, no. page. It was not an edge of the seat <laughs> exciting experience. Oh boy! At the end, but overall, I liked the book. It was a good story. It was it was not at the bottom of the list of everything we've reviewed so far this year. Well, the denouement was a little odd. I don't want to give it away. It was not what I expected. The I did not get sleepy. I liked the action at the end. I will say, though, that I didn't have a strong emotional reaction to this book. The character development and the arc of the case itself were just not enough for me to feel all that much of anything. It, in a weird way, it may have actually hurt the story that it was connected to the beginning of the Ukraine war last mm. year. Even though that was an interesting plot theme for me, we kind of know how the beginning of the war went. So, you know, what happens to the suspense? You get you get my point? I do. So uh, I didn't have a strong... I I actually gave this category a 1.5. I gave it a 2. So let's talk about the overall score now. When you average all of our numbers, it comes out 2.15. Oof. A two-star book for us. Not bad. No, not bad. It's uh, it's not a zero or one. I wanted to read a quote 
in the book that back one of Baxter's lines, he says, we're trapped in a bad movie. That's what we're in. A really bad fucking movie, poorly written. That's a risky sentence for an author to put in his book because somebody, a reviewer, you yeah. know, who shall be unnamed, could pull that quote out mm. and say, we're trapped in a really bad book. <laughs> That's what we're in. Poorly well, written. But I wanted to say a two from us is not bad. It's, it's just mediocre. It's not that bad. It's middle of the pack. It's not a zero. <laughs> okay. So that's how we'll end our review of Dark Angel. It's not a zero. (laughs) All right. Thanks for joining us. We'll see you next episode when we review Simply Lies by David Baldacci. Until then, keep dreaming, keep flying. Keep laughing, keep crying. And don't stop until you've read them all. 